The reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 6. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1 to 6, and it's page 1145 if you have the red Bible that's provided in the seats. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Okay, there's another reading, which is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're taking it from verse 13 through to 20. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 20, and it's on page 968 of your red Bible provided in the seats. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices 
and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thanks be to God for his word to us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for the reality of of you standing uh, or sitting in that case and delivering this word to those hearers. And help us to be sat at your feet also here today and be hearers and doers of your word. We ask it in your precious name. Amen. So as I said at the start, for the next couple of weeks we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to uh, dive straight into the lectionary reading here uh, this week and then go back and forwards next week. So now we will look a little bit more at the Beatitudes, the the, the eight statements uh, next week, uh, plus uh, the passage in Matthew chapter 6 about worry. Um, but this week uh, we're looking uh, at the passage from Matthew 5, verse 13. Uh, and the more I looked at this passage, the more I couldn't get away from uh, the fact that uh, it seems to be a very surprising comparison, a very surprising contrast uh, when Jesus is talking uh, in this situation, um, he's talking about the call for us as Christians to be distinctive. And it's not just being distinctive in the world, but being distinctive from the religious world. And that, for me, was a surprise. Um, when I used to go around the hospital wards as a, as a chaplain, uh, I often f- find the people's first reaction to me arriving uh, uh, to, to have a conversation or whatever, uh, was to say, I'm not religious. And that was the kind of boundary setting. Uh, and it, it was never my pat response to say, well, I'm not religious either, which is quite a trendy Christian response. Uh, because the fact of the matter is, sat in front of them in a dog collar, I am religious. And the fact that you come to church... The fact that your neighbors know and their radar is out watching you, then you are religious to them. And there's no point in having a debate about whether we think Christianity is about religion or not. Because in your mind's eye, you are religious. And the question is, for them, with their radar out, is are you distinctive? Is there something that makes your Religion, as in your Christianity, distinctive, that makes it look different to what they are and who they are. Uh, I remember a very long ago conversation with a very good friend of mine. I've prayed for this man to to come to faith. Uh, I don't think he'd be listening to the tape, so I'll mention his name. Um, His his name is Stan, and I've prayed for Stan for, oh, it must be about 40 years, maybe 35 years. Uh, and Stan is a, a very good personal friend up in, in Yorkshire. 
he's been on Alpha courses and everything. I might even have mentioned him before. Um, and it's, it, it hurt me to the core once when I was really doing well with talking to Stan about Jesus and thinking, you know, he, he's, he's actually uh, interested. And he, he said to me, you know, I don't see you as any different to me. What you do and how you live your life is not any different to me. And I thought, Lord, can that be? You know, this is a guy who's just offered me some uh, black market porn videos. And, and he's, he said he can get me anything I like. And, and this is the way, you know, he sort of talks. And he says he's no different to me. And I, I thought, Lord, how can I be distinctive? How, how can we be distinctive in the world that we live so that we're not tainted and uh, with with the brush that they seem to paint want to paint everyone with so when jesus gave this uh, statement or these the, the sermon on the mount um, then he was he was hostile towards the religious people and he seemed to be never hostile towards the worldly people if i can call them that rather than sinners he he when, when worldly people came to him, his, his attitude was to dine and to have tea with them and to, to, um, to forgive and to be gentle, to say, go and sin no more, but it was not condemning them. When he got to the religious people, and he mentions them in this passage, he says they, just, they keep all the rules, but inside they're filthy though they may be clean on the outside. Describe them as filthy tombs on the inside, dead on the inside, but alive on the outside. So it wasn't just that the Pharisees were hostile towards Jesus. It was that Jesus was also, also hostile towards the religious people of the day. The surprise in the Sermon on the Mount for me is that Jesus makes two contrasts, and it's not good against evil, it's not good and bad, it's not believers and unbelievers. It's the way, as in the Christian way, and the religious way. And they look the same, but they're not the same. That's what seems to be coming across. So it's not light and dark, it's light and light. He talks about two lights he talks about two ways, two gates, two houses, two trees. One is good fruit and one is poison. These things look the same. There's two people praying, he goes on to say. One is drawing attention to themselves, the other is getting in touch with God. There's two people giving to the poor. One is religious and the other is heartfelt. One way leads to destruction, and the other, the narrow way, leads to being with Christ in glory, present and in the future. Both paths look the same, and that's the surprise. Both are keeping the law or trying to keep the law, Jesus goes on to talk about it, go through the Ten Commandments. But he says, you have heard it say, and in other words, that's what the book says, but I say to you. So he's talking about two ways of reading even the Ten Commandments. 
both look very similar. One is religious and the other is the Christian way. And I want to look very, very briefly, hopefully, at three ways in which the Christian way is distinctive from the religious way. Three ways. One, it's attractive. Two, it's adoptive. And three, it's accomplished. So there's three ways in which the Christian way is distinctive from the religious way. One, it's attractive. Two, it's adoptive. And three, it's accomplished. The first one is, uh, it's attractive. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 14, both the religious and the Christian, it seems, are described as light. But one lights the room and the other is under a bowl or under a, a, a basket. Notice Jesus isn't contrasting light and darkness. He's contrasting two things that look the same. But one is shining and the other is under cover. Timothy Keller, who's a preacher that you know I like, um, I think I mention him every time, but um, Timothy Keller says, one is shining in a way that is attractive to the world and also attracted to the world. Attractive, I-V-E, and attracted, E-D, to the world. And I want to explain that because it'll help us get into this a bit more. The people who don't agree with the Christian way often say it seems attractive. I wrote in my diary in May 2018 that I visited a man called Keith on the wards at St. Mary's. And Keith engaged in a conversation with me probably after he told me he wasn't religious. Uh, and, and he said, I always see Christians doing good things and I wish I could believe. We were attractive to Keith. And as Keith's need became obvious, then I became attracted to him in a way that I could serve him. We are both attractive and attracted to. Just look at your um, sheet that uh, Andy was wafting around and the, the needs that you're supporting and you'll see the sort of things uh, that, that we give to and that we support here. These are things that are, we are drawn to, needy situations in our world that we want to you know, bulk up our tithe to give to those situations. Those are needs that we are attracted to. And hopefully those needs uh, of the neighborhood and the parish that we're in, there is something attractive. Look at the, the response you get from your carol service each year and the, the, the key services that you, you, you have each year. There's something attractive about the Christian way. We're attractive to the needy, but also attracted to the situations that we come and become aware of. Now, that's not to say they agree with us. Like Paul said in, his, in our first reading, that uh, 
you preach Christ and him crucified. And as soon as you open your mouth in that way and just listen to uh, Franklin Graham this morning on the radio, and, and they're straight in at his throat as soon as he starts to talk about Christ and Christ crucified. So being attractive to the people doesn't mean they agree with what we're saying. But somehow that they, they see that there is a truth and a depth and a reality that the religious way doesn't, doesn't show. I spoke to someone a couple of years ago, uh, call her Ali, who, who said she just, this is, this is at the hospital again, and she said she just goes around all the churches that do messy church. And she, she just likes what the churches do. And she brings her kids and then she finds out where the next one is and it's Gunville Methodist and she goes to that one. And she was attracted to that because she'd got a young family uh, and, and she liked the teaching and liked the people that she met in that situation. Another situation where we're attractive but also we are attracted to those situations. Not so with the religious people. The religious groups tend not to be attracted to people who disagree with them. If you're not in the club, then uh, it's harder to break in. It's more feelings like a clique than a welcoming body of people. And likewise, they're not attractive the religious way is not attractive to the religious way. Why? Because it tends to make people feel condemned. If you're not keeping the rules, then you should be doing something, praying a certain number of times, or need to be turning up at this and doing that, or giving in a certain way, or, or giving in a certain amount. The religious way tends to make people feel condemned. Religious way tends to see the needs outside our community and, and see people as, as sinners covered in, 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 in sinful specks, as it were, whereas there's a plank of wood in their own eyes, Jesus says. That's the religious way. The religious people particularly the people Jesus was talking to, didn't want to be contaminated by those sinful specks, not get too close, not to touch. That's the religious way. Those were the people that Jesus was hostile to. And I wondered, how are we with our, our town and our parish and our neighbors? Are we drawn to? Are we attracted to the needs that we become aware of? Or do we see them as people that might contaminate us some way? Heaven forbid. That's not the Christian way. Secondly, the Christian way is adoptive. In verse 16 in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Christians serve others because uh, we are adopted into God's family. That might seem to be a bit of a leap in logic. 
but it says, let your light shine to glorify your Father. Not God. To glorify your Father in heaven. Our serving blesses the Father. Our serving glorifies the Father. The Sermon on the Mount teaches that the Christian lives the Christian way because God is your Father, not because the religious way may be that you're trying to earn brownie points with an almighty ogre. The Christian says, whether you're a good son or daughter of God or a bad son or daughter of God, then you are adopted. How many of us know, those of us who have children, that often it's the ones that have been... The naughty ones are going through a, a naughty period that has our heart a little bit more of just wanting to hold them and embrace them and let them know that they're, they're still treasured. There's something about us when we feel that, that, that somehow we've stepped beyond the pale with God that we think we're maybe just on the naughty chair, naughty step with the Father. But we're adopted and we will never be unadopted by our Heavenly Father. And what we do in pleasing Him and wanting to please Him will glorify your Father. Let your light shine so that you will glorify the Father. We do what we do because we are family, not to become a family. Whereas the religious way is to try and appease a God, to try and do the rules to make it into the realm of being accepted by the ogre in the sky, as it were. With salt and light, it goes on to say, why is the light shining? It's because God is your Father and because His light is shining from you. Why are we salt? Well, salt's an interesting one. Salt is, is, say, for example, in meat, at those days when there wasn't fridges, salt, salt was, was rubbed into the meat to preserve it and to make it tasty. When you do things in community here, we're trying to preserve, we're trying to protect, we're trying to develop and help that community. We're salty, even if we protest on behalf of some people or some groups. We're salty. Salt is also a metaphor for for tasty. I do. I'm not a vegetarian. I don't think I need to confess there. Um, but I uh, am a carnivore, and I love a nice piece of steak. And you never heard me come away from a meal and saying, whoa, that was really nice salt after a good steak. I never said, whoa, that was brilliant salt. There's something about us that glorifies the Father. We are the salt that makes Him tasty. We draw attention to Him. A little bit like a referee in a rugby game. The Ireland-Welsh game went particularly well yesterday, if you're Irish. But nobody, but nobody worries too much about 
the referee, he refereed well, but the attention was on the match. The Christian is glorifying the Father. We are salt and light. When religious people do stuff, it tends to draw attention to their religion. And we may be doing the same stuff. We may be both reading the Bible. We may be both praying in church. We may be both giving to the poor. But one is the one that glorifies our Father because we're adopted as His family. One is a way in this description that is poison, leads to destruction. These are hard words for the religious way. We glorify our Father. We are salt and light because we are adopted in His family. And thirdly, the distinctiveness between the Christian way and the religious way is because it is accomplished. We touched on this a little bit last time. If you remember last week, I said I'm holding myself back here because I wanted to get into uh, Jesus fulfilling the law even in his infancy. Like when he was presented at the table, the Holy Spirit inspired his family to make sure that he fulfilled the law. It is accomplished. Christianity is different from religion because the religious people keep the law and are hell-bent, as it were, on keeping the law. In those days, in the Pharisees, all uh, 635 of them, and they had a almost like a checklist. I remember when I went to Jerusalem, uh, oh, it must be 10 years ago, uh, and I noticed that the lift in the hotel I was staying in stopped on every floor on the Sabbath. And I thought, I was probably on the fifth or sixth floor, I thought, well, I don't actually want to stop on every floor. And I found out the reason was so that we didn't have to press the button and do work on the Sabbath. Interesting. It was... Stopping people working. Jesus said in verse Matthew 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What did he mean by that? When Jesus cried from the cross, It is finished. He wasn't saying, I am finished. He was saying, It's accomplished. The law is fulfilled in me. He lived the perfect life. He died the death to take our sin and shame upon himself. He fulfilled the law so that we, in him, could also see that it was accomplished. The righteous Pharisees did the law. They ticked their boxes. And then Jesus uh, goes on uh, in, in, uh, in, in verse 27, 21, 27, 31, 33, 43. He says over and over again, you have heard and read that the law says, and he goes through the Ten Commandments, he says, but I say, and then he goes through line by line and says how the Christian 
should read those commandments. And it seems he's setting the bar higher. Well, he is. In fact, he's setting the bar so high that none of us here could stand up and say that we can hurdle that bar. Jesus sets the bar so high that we can't possibly fulfill it unless someone comes along and gives us a leg up. Someone who has already fulfilled it says, you can do it in me. And that, of course, is Jesus who says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. On the cross, he cried, it is finished. It is accomplished. He fulfilled it. He was perfectly pure so that we could be righteous in him. We could be the Beatitudes, not because we can be all those things, but because in him it is fulfilled. If you like, we are jointly and severally liable with him. If you know anything about partnership law, I used to be an accountant. It's probably the worst law uh, for, for someone who's in business because if your partner does something bad, you are jointly and severally liable. If your partner does something good, you can get the benefit of that. With Jesus, when he says it is accomplished, we in him are jointly and severally liable and with him. Means that we gain everything that his purity gained for us. And he gets or got all of the sin and the shame that we had to nail at the cross when we came to him. If you're a Christian, the Sermon on the Mount is not a high jump bar to clear. It's not that we can be perfect in our thoughts and and free from lustful thoughts and we can give perfectly, it's always truthfully and, and, and sinless. It's not that we can be that. It's not a horizontal bar, but it's a, it's a vertical bar. Where like in the Sistine Chapel, we can see the Almighty reaching out to us and we can reach up and we can be one because we're a family and because in Christ, everything he has done for us, everything he has done for us is what we depend on. The religious way is all about what you do. What you do, what you do, you keep that law, you do this, you do that, you practice this and you practice that. The Christian way is all about what he has done for us. It's do or done. The Christian way is about what he has done. Practically, what do we learn from this part of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, first, what matters is who we are inside out. We are adopted, we are his, and we are cleansed and forgiven and redeemed inside out. He has fulfilled every bit of the law that I could never have fulfilled. And he emptied himself of everything so that I could have everything 
that he won for me. His purity, his freedom, and his peace. It makes me want to be active. I'm active in what I do, and you hopefully active in what you do, not to appease him, but out of a heart of thanks for what he has done for us, serving him in our prayers and our praises and in our good works to glorify the Father. As Christians, let us be distinctive rather than religious. Let us be attracted to the needs that we see around us, our friends, our relatives, our neighbors, our neighborhood, our parish, our town, and our island. Attracted to the needs and the causes that we feel drawn to. Let us be attractive also as the light that shines. The light that shines not under a bowl, but a light that shines out through us. And that, of course, is the light of Christ in us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you emptied yourself of everything so that I could have everything. Thank you that you came and lived that life and died that death so that we could be adopted. Help us, Lord, to show that in the way we shine and the way we influence the people that we mix and mingle with. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.